We all know what selfies are. Those are pictures that we take that usually have us and we post them online for other people to see. Google estimates, isn't this number, that there are 93 million selfies posted every day. That means 1,100 selfies are posted every second. Women take 1.5 more selfies, but men are more likely to die in taking selfies. Of the fatalities caused by taking selfies, men take 73% of those dangerous kinds of selfies. Women take more. Ours are just more dumb, right? That's the bottom line. Now, across the Bible, there are these images of God, pictures that we've called selfies. But they're not photographs. What they are are divine names. These are self-revelations of the Lord, selfies. And there are about 85 different selfies or names of the Lord across the Bible. Now, let's be really clear. There's one God, but there are these different names that represent different aspects of his character. Each one gives us a unique glimpse into what God is like. So during our study, we've taken a look at several of these names, not all 85, but we looked at several of them. Primarily, we focused on those three foundational names for the Lord. Elohim is the Genesis 1-1 name for the Lord. In the beginning, God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. So Elohim really represents that, that powerful creator God. And then we looked at the term Adonai, Adonai. That represents the Lord as the sovereign over all things. He is the Lord, the supreme authority, king of the universe. And then we looked at the name that God says is his personal name. He even referred to it this way. This is my living memorial. This is a name I want every generation across all geography to know. And that name is Jehovah or Yahweh, which reveals God's relational priority. It is translated as the I am, but this is what he wants to communicate through the I am, that he is ever present to be for us what he has always been and what he will always be. He is the great I am. It reveals God's intention to be personal, to be close, to be available, and to be sufficient for every need. Now, what we also learn is you take those primary names of the Lord, and then you can add other words to it, creating new names or other names for God. And again, each one of those gives us more significant understanding as to what God is like. Now, throughout this series, we've tried really hard to not peek behind the curtain and just kind of let each one of these names just speak to us and say to us what they will. But there were times we couldn't help it. Like you talk about Jehovah Jireh, our provider. We couldn't help it but to peek behind the curtain and talk a little bit about Jesus, right? But we tried just to let, let these names stand on their own because we knew today was coming. <laughs> the day when we could pull the curtain back 
and just look behind every one of those names and see what and who is standing behind every one of those names. And who's standing behind every one of those names is Jesus. Jesus personifies every one of these names. In fact, the Bible tells us that God spoke to us in times past. He spoke to us a lot of different ways. And one of the ways that he speaks to us is through these self-revelations, his names. But then Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2 says, Now in these final days he has spoken to us through his Son. So every one of these names, Jesus encapsulates their full meaning. And today is all about giving glory to Jesus. Philippians chapter 2 verses 9 through 10 says, God elevated him at the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And the scripture is incredibly clear in pointing out to us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. That Jesus is the exact representation of God's being. And that Jesus himself said that he is the manifestation of the Father's name. Now what that means is, Every one of these names, Jesus fulfills how they are associated and how they reflect and reveal God. So Jesus is Elohim. In fact, Colossians 1.16 says, through him, God created everything. Jesus is Adonai. Revelation 17, 14 says that Jesus is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. Jesus is Yahweh, Jehovah. Across John's gospel, there are seven distinct and clear I am statements made by Jesus. And all of those I am statements lead to the conclusion that Christ himself offered in John 18, 5, I am am he. He is Jehovah. All of the names are encapsulated in Christ. And so today we're going to put our eyes on a passage that elevates Jesus, our Emmanuel. What does that mean? The God who saves is with us. The God who saves is with us. Take your Bible, open it to the very first book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. We're going to really focus on verse 21 and 23, but Matthew chapter 1. Now, in this opening chapter of Matthew's gospel, we read about Joseph. He is engaged to be married to Mary, but he becomes aware that she's pregnant. Understandably, he's disappointed and he's devastated by the news of her pregnancy because he knows that's not his child. Now, what he doesn't know is that this is a supernatural impregnation 
of a virgin girl. God, by means of the Holy Spirit, kind of like artificially inseminated her with her permission. God told her, you are chosen to be the mother of the Messiah. And she said yes to this miracle conception. May it be unto me as you have spoken. But Joseph doesn't know any of that. He just hears that she's pregnant. He knows it's not his child. And so being a righteous guy, but also a very kind man, he decided I'm going to break the engagement quietly so that she doesn't suffer any community scorn. So he kind of goes to bed on that decision. Like, I'm going to deliver the news tomorrow. He kind of goes to bed on that decision. And at this point, the Bible tells us that God intervened through a dream. He spoke to Joseph in a dream. This is interesting. Because right now, all across the Middle East, God is speaking to Arabs and Muslims through dreams. Look at these headlines. They capture the story of what is taking place in the Middle East. The testimonies have some individual details, but by and large, they report the same story. Jesus appears to Muslims in their dreams, and he reveals, I am real. And he tells them where they can go and find someone who will tell them more about him. They do. They get saved, and they renounce being a Muslim. It is incredible. The one who spoke in a dream is still speaking to people in their dreams. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, this is what he said back then. Verse 20, angel appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she'll have a son, and you're going to name him, look at this, Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet. Here's a quotation from Isaiah. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they'll call him Emmanuel. Sometimes you see that with an I, sometimes with an E. Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. He took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until the son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. So let's talk today about Jesus, our Emmanuel. Whenever I was a a kid raised in church, I would hear the Christmas story read every year, and we would come across this part. They shall call him Emmanuel. And my little curiosity was like, hey, how come nobody ever calls Jesus Emmanuel? It says they'll call him Emmanuel. Is that like his middle name, like nobody ever uses? Is is that what this is? Well, there's a, a sports icon here in Texas tech land. We have a a football coach by the name of Joey McGuire, right? And sometimes we just call him Coach McGuire. Coach McGuire. Coach is not his name, but that's a title. 
And that title communicates something about who he is and what he does. He's a coach. And so Emmanuel wasn't his given name in the sense that that's what he was called, but it's a title because it tells us a little bit about who he is and what he does. Now notice the interpretation is provided for us. Uh, The Hebrew word Emmanuel, it means God with us. Now, Emmanuel, let's look at the word. We have learned during our series that the word El is a shortened form of Elohim. And so here we have God, Emmanu, means with us. This is very simple. God with us. Now notice the term with. It means beside, together, accompanied by. So God with us implies God's intention to have interaction and connection and fellowship and companionship with us. Now, from the beginning, God has always revealed this heart for people. He wants to be with us. So all the way back in Genesis, we read that Adam and Eve walked with God in the garden. That was his heart. But his intention was cut short by the decision of Adam and Eve to reject his loving instruction. Instead of obeying God, they went on their own way in the garden. And the Bible calls that sin. When we reject by choice or by nature... Or by ignorance, when we reject God's way to go our way, that's sin. When someone hurts you and you feel rejection, you're human. You're going to feel that. But when we make the choice to kind of stew on that rejection, to brood over that rejection. It starts to provoke within us, listen, bitterness. Bitterness. When you, when you get rejected, you feel hurt. You can't help it. That's not a sin to feel hurt. But what makes it sinful is, listen, God said to take those hurts, watch this, and forgive them even as you have been forgiven. That's God's way. You can't help but feel hurt But when you feel hurt, you've got to forgive. That's God's way. But when we hurt, sometimes we hold on to the hurt, we stew in the hurt, and we move into bitterness. And when we do that, now we're going our own way. And that's sin. And sin will always bring about separation between us and God. Now, I'm going to challenge you today to start thinking a little differently about your sin. Yes, your sin is breaking the rules. But when we think about our sin, I want us to think of it more than just breaking rules because sin devastates the relationship between us and the Lord. It's breaking the rules, yes, but it also devastates the relationship because it brings separation. 
I have a friend. And unfortunately, he was unfaithful to his wife. He called me and confessed it to me. And in the process of his confession, he recognized like this overwhelming sense of guilt that he had broken his vow. And he recognized my next move is I've got to tell my wife. And he sat down with her and explained his choice and his violation of their marriage. Understandably, she was brokenhearted devastated by his decision, but she made the choice by the grace of God to forgive him and walk down the long path of rebuilding trust. A few years later, he did it again. And I won't forget her words to him. She said, while I may choose to forgive you, what you've done has now devastated our relationship. And as much as I love you, I just can't be with you anymore. I just can't. Now, in a way that is deeper, more complex, but justified. Holy God is more than put out by our wrongdoing. He's put out by it, but he's more than put out by it. He's devastated by our sin. And the relationship is devastated so that God can't continue with us anymore. He loves us. But he just can't. Now the reality of that broken relationship never stopped him from wanting to get back to a place where things could be right between us. In the Old Testament, there are these brief manifestations where God comes near to sinful people. God appears to them in a column of fire, a pillar of fire, so that he could lead his people safely, but God kept his distance. God manifested his presence in a cloud, a glittery, glorious, Shekinah cloud, but it didn't stay for very long. God came to be with sinful people. By letting his presence manifest in the temple. But his presence in the temple was inaccessible to almost everybody. God found ways to be with people, but not as he desired. Not until Matthew chapter 1. And then God revealed in this little remote village of Nazareth the time was right for him to fulfill his prophetic promise to come near and now stay with people. Quoting Isaiah chapter 7, Matthew 1.23 reads, The virgin will conceive a child. She'll give birth to a son. They'll, they'll call him Emmanuel, God 
with us. Now, the background of this promise is found in the Old Testament during the reign of a king by the name of Ahaz. He lived and ruled over God's people, but he did so like God was far, far away and not paying attention. In fact, he actually led God's people, the king of God's led them to worship false gods. He even burned to death his own son in a pagan worship ritual. So when two armies were preparing to invade and conquer, God knew that Ahaz wouldn't turn to the Lord, so the Lord mercifully came to Ahaz. And through the prophet Isaiah communicated to Ahaz, I'm not going to let this happen. I will draw near and I will protect my people. And then Isaiah looked at Ahaz and said, hey, God is inviting you to ask him for a sign that I'm telling the truth. And here was Ahaz's response. I don't want a sign. And I don't want God's help. And Isaiah responded, oh, no, you didn't. And then tells him, oh, God's going to give you a sign. But here's the problem. You won't be around to see it. And here is the sign. Read it again. A virgin will conceive. She'll give birth to a son. And by him, God will be with us. Sure enough. 700 years after this promise was made, Jesus was conceived by a virgin born in Bethlehem to demonstrate God's longing and commitment to be with us. He wants to be with us, but in order to be with us, he got to save us. So that's the second part here. Jesus, our Emmanuel. Notice the name Joseph is instructed to give Mary's son. You're to name him Jesus, for he will save people from their sins. In Hebrew, the name Jesus is a shortened form of Joshua. Kind of like, kind of like Chris for Christopher. The longer name for Joshua in Hebrew, Yehoshua, means Yahweh, or Jehovah the Lord, is salvation. Jesus' Hebrew name was likely in the form of a name we see in Nehemiah 7.7, Jeshua. And that shortened form means Yahweh saves, God saves, Jesus saves. Now specifically, it reads that he saves us from our sins. Now, it's during Christmas time that we celebrate the incredible introduction to Jesus' story that he's born in Bethlehem, and we all love celebrating that. But the real glory to the story is that Jesus lived his life on mission to be 
totally obedient to his heavenly father, living his life without sin so that he could offer himself as a substitute sacrifice, his life for ours, his sinlessness for our sinfulness. Following his sacrifice, God raised him from the dead as proof that Jesus did pay our sins penalty. And if we receive him as our Lord and Savior, then he forgives us and God gives us a new life. Jesus takes away our sin and separation problem. God saves. Jehovah saves. Jesus saves. The Bible says in Ephesians 2.13, once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. Romans chapter 5 verse 10 adds, for since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. Hebrews 7.25, therefore he is able to save completely. Some translations to the uttermost. Jesus can save to the uttermost those who come to God through him because he's always interceding for us. Listen, God is now with us only because Jesus saves us. And he's able to save us to the uttermost. So that means if God can deal with our sin problem, our separation problem, then what else can't he do? All that's represented by God's names, now Jesus has come near to fulfill all of those promises. So that Jesus is El Shaddai. He is God Almighty, the God who is and was and forever be the Almighty. He is El Elyon. He is seated at the right hand of God. He is Jehovah Jireh. He shall supply all your needs according to Christ. He is Jehovah Rapha. By his stripes we are healed. He is Jehovah Nisi, our banner, our covering, our defender. He is Jehovah Sidkenu. He is the one who makes us right with God. He is Jehovah Shalom. He is our peace. Jesus fulfills all of that. He draws near. He is with us and brings the fullness of God into our lives. So now what should we do? Let me give you three little points of action. First thing I'm going to challenge you to do, based on all that, first thing I'm going to challenge you to do is this. Learn to call on the name of the Lord, Jesus, for anything and everything related to your life. Shout Jesus from the mountains. Shout Jesus in the streets. Shout Jesus over the darkness of every enemy. Romans chapter 10, verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That means Jesus can be your peace. Jesus can make you right. Jesus can be your healing. Jesus provides you forgiveness. Jesus is the fight you need for your life. Call on Jesus. 
for crying out loud, man. Get over the need to Google it first and learn how to call on the name of the Lord. Jesus. Here's the second thing. Man, rejoice and be glad that you've got someone who is with you and for you. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? You need somebody in your life who is with you and for you. Greg, I appreciate you. You're a man who is with me and for me. I appreciate that. Because you'll have people in your life who are with you, but they're not for you. And you can have people in your life who are for you. Because if your boat rises in the harbor, theirs does too. They're for you, but they're not with you. You need people who are both with you and for you. And listen to me. If you can't find nobody like that, let me promise you, Jesus is with you and he is for you. Can somebody rejoice and be glad in this house? Here's the last thing. And let us now live as somebody who believes that Jesus is with us all the time in every situation. Matthew 28, 20, Jesus assured us this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I think we could all benefit this holiday season by being just a little more aware and listen, accountable to the fact that Jesus is with us. How many of you think your life might be lived a little differently this afternoon if Jesus rode home with you after church and just hung out at your house for a little while? You might make some different decisions. You might say some things differently, do some things differently. Well, let's not commit, listen to me, let's not commit the offense of the Corinthian church because the Corinthian church had a communion problem. Their communion problem was this. People were showing up for communion, but they'd been living their lives mistreating one another. And the apostle Paul confronted them. Like you're showing up for communion, but you're mistreating people. I think, this is what Paul, I think you got a problem discerning the Lord's body. I, I don't think you understand the Lord at all because you're mistreating people and you're showing up for communion and you get your hands out and you get your bread and you get your juice and you think everything is just fine, but you haven't discerned the Lord's body because here's the reality. He's with you closer than the bread you hold and the cup that's in your hand and yet you're treating people the way you are. You're not discerning the reality that he's with you all the time. Let us not commit the offense of the Corinthian church, but let's live our lives fully aware that Jesus is with us.